Well, good morning, everyone. If you haven't been with us the last few weeks, we are in a series that we entitled, I Declare War. We started this in back at the beginning of July, and the idea behind it is this, is that we want to make the most of the second half of 2021. And so there's some things we need to just get rid of in our lives that keep us from realizing all that God has in store for us. And today, we want to declare war on out-of-control finances. Because out-of-control finances can really, really mess up our lives. In fact, um, point A on your outline is this. And if you're watching us online, we're so glad you've joined us. Just go to centeringlives.com. You can find uh, handouts there. You can find a copy of the outline there. But out-of-control finances will add stress and pain to our lives and keep us from, from fulfilling the purposes that God has for us. It's a wonderful news that God has a plan for my life. In fact, the Bible tells us that God has planned from eternity past things that he wants me to accomplish in this world. God has a plan for you and me. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? amen. Yeah, he has a plan. Well, if my finances are all messed up, my head's not going to be in the right place. I'm going to be too worried to step out on faith. Who knows what all will happen that's going to keep me paralyzed. So it's important for us to understand this. Let me show you a couple of ways the Bible talks about out-of-control finances, too. Some people, this is 1 Timothy 6.10, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So on one side of the coin, you can have people, they have money and they're getting more. They're working 80 hours a week and they are stacking up the cash, but they are burning through relationships. They don't have any friends anymore. They don't have any hobbies anymore. There are money fights at home. There might be a divorce. Man, they've got money. And then there's the other side of the table, Proverbs 21.20. Wise people live in wealth and luxury, but stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. And so you can have people on the other side of the table over here, and it's like they're just living paycheck to paycheck. A survey was done nationwide. It was roughly 50% of Americans said that's where they were. 50%, half. No idea how they're going to pay for rent next month. No plan for any of this. And so they live in fear and worry that if something bad happens, they're out on the street. Well, God doesn't want us living in fear and worry. He doesn't want us living in isolation and greed. But the devil does. See, the devil doesn't care if he gets us in one ditch or the other, as long as we're not on the road that God has for us where we recognize his purposes. And so over and over again in Scripture, the Bible tells us, hey, when you talk about money, money reveals where our heart is. And either we're going to serve God with our money or we're going to serve ourselves. It reveals a lot to us. So today, we want to talk about seven ways that we can, seven things we can do to declare war on out-of-control finances. And before I have a word of prayer for the rest of the message, I want to point out the first one, and that's this, that we can ask God to show us how to be good stewards of our money. A steward is a manager, and it's terribly important we understand this from the get-go. If I have $1,000, and I take it to the bank, and I invest it, and then come back five years later and ask for my money plus the interest on my deposit, and the banker turns to me and says, yeah, I don't know what happened to that money. I'm going to go, well, you better find out because the sheriff is on his way, and so would you. Well, do you know that in the Bible, we're the bank? 
We're the bank. Jesus told a story once to his disciples. He said, the way you need to think about money is this, is that it's like a wealthy man who went on a trip and he divided up his money among his servants according to what they could handle. To one, he gave five bags of silver, another two bags of silver, and another one, one. And the servant who had five bags of silver while the master was gone, he went and earned five more. The one with two bags earned two more, but the one who had one bag just took it and buried it and didn't have anything to do with it. Just left it in the ground. Well, the master came back, and when he demanded an accounting of what they had done with his money, man, he praised the servant who'd earned five more. He praised the servant who'd earned two more, but he was furious with the servant who just had one. He said, why didn't you at least put it in the bank where I could have gotten some interest on this? Why'd you squander your opportunity? And Jesus said, I want you to learn a lesson from this, because the master in the story took the bag of gold, bag of silver from the one and handed it to the one who already had 10. Because he said, he's making the most of what he has. You're not doing anything with it. And so today, I want to remind us here that the Lord looks at us as stewards of his money. The Bible makes it clear we brought nothing in the world, we can take nothing out. You know, people have pointed out there's no trailer hitches on hearses. There aren't any. We can't take it with us. And so what do we do with our finances while we're here? Proverbs 16.3 says, here's where we start. Before you do anything, put your trust totally in God, not in yourself, and then every plan you make will succeed. The Lord works everything together to accomplish his purpose. Could you go back one slide on this for me, please? Could we read this highlighted part of this verse together, please? Before you do anything, put your trust totally in God and not in yourself. Now, this is important for us because today we're going to look at some biblical principles. All of these principles, this is the first of them. The first of them is, if it's God's money, then we're going to need him to show us how to use it. He doesn't expect us to be geniuses with our money. He expects us to ask him for direction. If it's good news to you that God does not expect you to be a financial whiz, would you say amen? Amen. amen. But he will guide us. And the question with money is, are we going to follow his lead, or are we going to do what we want and then demand that he bails us out? It goes back to lordship again. If he's Lord, then he leads. Terribly important. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. This is Proverbs 3 saying the same thing. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. That includes our finances. And he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the best part of everything you produce, and then he'll fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. We're going to pray in a second. I just want to remind us here, it's terribly important. God rewards good stewardship. This is what he said to the servant who returned with five bags of silver and earned five more, two bags of silver and earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. God wants us to grow. He wants us to mature. He wants us to trust him in every area of our lives, including our finances. So today, we're going to pray that God's going to guide us in that. Will you pray with me, please? 
Heavenly Father, I thank you that I don't have to be a financial whiz. Lord, you promised to guide us. What you're asking is, will we trust you and will we obey when you show us what to do? And so, God, before we get any further in this lesson, Lord, I'm asking you to guide us with our finances. We brought nothing in this world. We're taking nothing out. It's obvious that whatever we do, we only have a few short years to make the most of what we have. And, Lord, some of us have been doing really well with money, money and some of us not so well. So, Lord, wherever we are today, we're asking that you would give us hope, that you would give us direction, and you would show us some important things about handling the money you've entrusted us. Because we're the bank. We're the stewards in the story. And, Lord, we want you to be pleased with us. We pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Please move me out of the way, Lord, and speak to us. Say whatever you want us to hear. In the name of Christ, amen. So first of all, we ask God to show us what to do. And that's good news because he promises he will. Secondly, we can set financial goals. We can set financial goals. Listen to Proverbs 21.5. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Counting on winning the lottery is not a good retirement plan. It's just not. So don't count on that. What we do is we need to say, hey, what are some financial goals? In fact, inside of your handout this morning, you'll see a sheet, a worksheet. And if you take that out and look at it, if you're online again, just go to centeringlives.com and you'll find a, a copy of this here. But on one side, it'll talk about financial goals. The other side, the budget. We'll get to that budget in a minute. But if you look at the financial goals worksheet side, you go, well, John, this isn't that much. No, it's not, but it gives us some important categories. Hopefully, you've taken the time. If you've never done this before, let me strongly, strongly encourage you to do this, to set some short-term goals, some mid-range goals, and some long-term goals. If you're married, to set couple goals and family goals for finances. What am I talking about? Well, a short-term goal could be I need to replace a car sometime this next year or in the next couple of years. It could be short-term or mid-range. A long-term goal could be 20-plus years around that long could be making sure we have money set aside for our kids to go to college. I mean, Debbie and I, that was terribly important for us. We invested in our kids' education for over 20 years. And I remember when our youngest son, Graham, graduated from Auburn a few years back, we were driving back home, and we were high-fiving in the car on the way back. We had just realized an attainment of a goal that had taken 20 years. And there were many times during those 20 years when it just looked impossible. But God always helped us along the way. We prayed about these things. Please understand, when I'm asking you to write down goals, I'm not saying, well, write down goals. You don't have, now forget all about praying. Uh-uh, it goes together. James 4, James even says, hey, those of you who say, hey, next year we're going to do this in some city and we're going to invest money over here, what you should say is you should say, if the Lord wills it, we're going to do this and invest there. I agree. And that's how it all fits together. But if we've never written our plans down, how do we know where we're going? We've never written down any goals. The goal, a financial goal, is like a destination on a trip. The budget, you'll see in a minute, is the itinerary on how you're going to get there. 
But if I'm going to Alaska, I need to know that to begin with so I can plan an itinerary to get me there. I don't just get in the car and say, we're going to drive till we find a place to stop. That may not turn out so well. But the kind of goals we're talking about are these. Vacations. Hey, I want to take the whole family to Europe five years from now. Why is that a financial goal? Well, call a travel agent and they'll tell you, you can call 1-800-CHA-CHING and you'll find out why. <laughs> it's expensive to do that. So vacations go on there. Retirement goes on there. College education goes on there. Owning your own home goes on this list somewhere. Oh, and don't forget about this. If you have children, weddings need to go on there. Did you know that weddings are expensive? Does anybody know that? It's expensive. Well, how's that going to get paid for? If we're going to have money set aside so we can enjoy the wedding, enjoy the vacation, so we're not worried about retirement, so that we can do the things we want to do, well, those are goals we need to write down because then that'll guide our thinking process. Now, what's important here, don't skip this, if we don't set financial goals, others and or circumstances will set them for us. Everybody around us, and nobody's going to do this maliciously. Well, there could be some, I guess. But most people, it's just this way. Hey, you ought to come live in this neighborhood. Hey, here's the car you need to be driving. Here's where you need to be going on vacation. Here's what you need to do. And if we start doing that, then we zigzag through life, and we're chasing this goal and that goal and that goal because this was important to this friend, and this is important to my mom, and this was important to so-and-so. What's important to us? I will not perform a wedding ceremony for a couple unless they fill out this financial goals worksheet and the budget sheet on the other side. I won't. Because I can guarantee you this is going to lead to a fight if they haven't talked to, talked to me about it. We'll get more on that later. So, first of all, we need to pray and seek God's guidance. Secondly, we need to set some financial goals. Thirdly, you and I can get on a budget. And again, what's a budget? Well, it's just an income and expense plan for reaching your financial goals. If I'm going to Alaska, these are the airline connections I need to make to get to Juneau. Here's how we get there. If I'm going to save up for college education, here's how we're going to do it. If we're going to plan for retirement, this is the fund we're going to invest in. Here's how we're going to get there. Well, those are financial plans. Well, how do we know we have enough money to do this? Well, we're taking account of all the expenses we already currently have. Jesus spoke in an illustration talking about how, much, how important it was to count the cost before people followed him. He said this, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? If you lay the foundation and you're not able to finish it, everyone who sees it is going to ridicule you, saying, well, that person began to build and wasn't able to finish. He said, you need to count the cost in following me the same way. But the very point that he uses in an analogy verifies the fact that it's important for us to count the cost in every area of our lives. I mean, I need to know how much I'm spending. Can we afford to live where we live? Can we afford to drive what we drive? Are we living within our means? That's a budget. That's what a budget helps us do. 
Know the state of your flocks, Proverbs 27, 23. Know the state of your flocks. Put your heart into caring for your herds. Riches don't last forever. So if, now if you look at the budget worksheet, this is as simple of a worksheet as I could come up with, and it's not comprehensive, but there's two sections to it, income and expenses. The income section at the top is just your monthly take-home pay. That would be, if you're married, it would be for both of you. If you're single, it's just you. Below that are expenses, everything from rent to credit cards to cell phone to health insurance. And there's another line down here for other. You can add more. Somebody came up after the first service that you forgot about entertainment. There's cable and subscription services for streaming and all that stuff. Well, that's true. And these are recurring expenses. And when you write them all down, you have your total income and your total expenses. You take your total income and subtract the total expenses. Well, that's your leftover income. That's your disposable income at the end of the month. That's why there's a line at the bottom. It's the bottom line. If this is a negative number, then we need to either generate more income or decrease our spending, or both. But we can't keep on going negative. And this is why it's terribly important for us to work this out and to make sure that we have a budget. And again, we need to talk about these things. In fact, married couples must agree on financial goals and budgets. And this is going to require discussion, negotiation, and very often conflict re resolution and forgiveness. Amos 3.3, there's a rhetorical question that's asked, and it's very important for us here. Can two people walk together if they don't agree on a direction? No. Hey, can we travel together if I'm going to Mobile and you're going to Birmingham? Yeah, all the way to the interstate. Then one of us is going to have to get out. Because we're going two opposite directions. Now look, this is practical stuff that the Bible talks about. And the reason I'm going over this is, if we want God's wisdom and we want God's blessing in our lives, remember we prayed, God give us wisdom? Well, this is wisdom. Do you have a goal? Have you set goals? Have you ever taken pencil to paper and written them down and talked about them with the people in your life that you really love? Because once you set up your goals, well, that's going to determine a lot of your budget. We're going to have to decrease this because we need more money to finance these goals. And it's important that we talk about these things and pray about these things together. Every premarital counseling session talks about conflict resolution, and then we go right into the goals and budget page because the number one thing that couples fight about is money. And maybe God had you here today so you could be reminded about this. Hey, let's talk about this because I'm concerned. Let's pray about these things together. Let's write things down so we know where we are and where we're headed. So we can pray, we can set financial goals, we can set up a budget, and fourthly, we can save and invest. Now this is terribly important too. A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. I mean, again, if 50% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, that probably means there's no emergency fund. 
And again, if we're making our expenses and we're just barely making it with nothing in reserves, and we say, you know, if the car doesn't wear out and the refrigerator doesn't give out and nobody has any cavities for the next 20 years, we'll be fine. Okay, we live in a fallen world where there's tooth decay. Does everybody understand that? And the radiator does go out on the car and refrigerators do die. How are we going to pay for it? Well, most of the time we're getting out the credit card and now all of a sudden we're digging a hole and we're paying high interest rates. And that's not what God wants for us. He wants us to plan ahead and save. Send your grain across the seas and in time profits will flow back to you. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 11. But divide your investments among many places for you don't know what risks might be ahead. That's Solomon complimenting you know, making a conversational point about diversified portfolios. Say, hey, when you invest, don't just invest in one stock. You're going to have to diversify. Well, a good financial advisor will tell you that. And it's important that we understand these things that we need to save. We need to make sure we diversify in some funds. The Bible talks plainly about these things, and it's important that we do. Because God has plans for us. And when he puts dreams on our hearts, it's okay to save for those things and pray for those things. For 20 years. For 30 years. And when we work on those things, we can celebrate, God, look what you did with this. It's awfully important because we have a lot of voices in our culture that are telling us, uh, there is no God It's your money. Do whatever you want with it. And if you don't have enough money, it's not your fault. It's somebody else's fault. It's not your responsibility to save. Our society's unjust. You didn't have enough. You need more. And if you haven't heard that, start listening. Now, look, the Bible doesn't deny that we live in a fallen world. And the Bible doesn't deny that there are unjust and unscrupulous people in this world. But the Bible tells us to pray for others and to be personally responsible for what we do have. And so please hear this. We're to be salt and light and to remind people of that. It's also important, number five, that we can get out of debt. Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. There's all kinds of debt. You can have a mortgage on your home. You have car payments, credit card payments. You can have student loans, all kinds of debt. Well, we may not be able to get out of a mortgage. We need a place to live. But what if we took care of all those other areas of debt? Man, that would give us a lot of cap room in our budget. What if we could pay off the credit cards? What if we could pay off the cars? What if we could pay off the student loans? And that would give us freedom. Now, if you'd like help with some of this, on the back side, you'll see that there's a helpful resource listed. Uh, you can go to centeringlives.com slash events, and you can sign up for a financial peace class. We'll be having one here starting in a few weeks this fall. And if you'd like some help on budgeting, on setting financial goals, on getting out of debt, man, this course will help you so much. And people who get freed up from debt, And that chain around the wrist, man, they're able to do all kinds of things that God wants them to do. 
Sixthly, you and I can build relationships with people who manage their money well. Not only going to a course, but going to see a financial advisor. I mean, I'm so grateful that when Debbie and I sat down with a financial advisor years ago, they said, you know, you're going to need to save up some money for weddings. And we go, well, we have sons. And they go, yeah, what if it's a destination wedding? And by the way, all three of our sons, it was, okay? Did I mention that weddings are expensive? I think I mentioned that. But we were so grateful that somebody gave us a heads up and said, hey, you need to be saving some money for this. Why? Because if we saved it for the money, I can enjoy the wedding. We can enjoy the graduation. I'm not worried about retirement. This is what God wants for us. Not hoarding things. Not stressing out about things. But enjoying life. And that means we've got to stay in the middle of the road and stick with some things long term. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Proverbs 13, verse 20. Could we read this proverb out loud, please? He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Are there wise people in your life? Do you seek financial counsel from wise people? If you're married, have you and your spouse sat down together with a financial advisor, talked about your goals, talked about your budget, talked about your dreams? Best time to do it would be today. We can declare war on fear and anxiety and foolish spending. Lastly, you and I can give generously. And some of you are going, oh, I knew you were going to get around to giving. I knew it. Well, yeah. You know why you knew it? Because it's all throughout the Bible. That's why. Remember, the Lord is entrusting resources to us. The same way I take money to the bank, only in the Bible, I'm the bank. So if that's true, and the Lord says, hey, these are my priorities, the same way I'd take money to the bank and say, hey, these are my priorities, here's what I want you to do with my money, and here's where I want you to put it, I would expect those instructions to be followed. Well, listen to some, God's, some of God's instructions. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he's done. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Should people cheat God, yet you've cheated me? But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You've cheated me out of the tithes and offerings due me. And these are three verses that talk about how important generosity is, first of all, to the poor, secondly, to others when they're in need, and thirdly, to the work of God's kingdom. So if God invests money in my life, I'm the bank, I expect you to take care of these three categories. These three categories are repeated over and over again, by the way, in Scripture. This is not, I didn't cherry pick a handful of verses here. And if he says, hey, these are my priorities, and if you do these things, I'll bless you, well, I want God's blessing in my life. So I don't need to wait till everything else is straightened out. If these are three priorities, well, then I can get on that right away. 
And if there's a need, I can help meet it today. Give away all my money? Of course not. But can you give a little? When are you going to start? And why would you wait? If this is a priority to God, and he says, look, if you help the poor, I'll help you. If you refresh others, they'll help you. And if you give to the work of the kingdom, the rest of that verse, that section there in Malachi 3, he says, every gift you give, I'll give it back to you, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing. Try me and see. And so the question comes back again, am I going to do what God wants me to do with his money or am I going to do what I want to do and then ask God to bail me out when it all messes up? You cannot love both God and your money. One last point here. It's important that we surrender our finances to the Lord and then he'll transform us. Romans 12. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, this is what happens when we surrender to the Lord and we come to him, he starts changing the way we think. And now all of a sudden we want to do a budget and we want to set financial goals. I want to help people out. He gives me, he changes my desires. In fact, go down to that Philippians 2.13 reference and put that on screen, please. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. This is what God is doing inside of you. And so today, if he's speaking to you and you're going, oh, I'm so glad we talked about this. Oh, I'm really glad I heard this. Oh, I need this. Great. God brought you here to change the way you think just a little bit. The other thing I want you to hear before we leave today is this, is that if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. You know what's so great about coming to God is we can come to God for direction on what to do with our finances, and we can come to God and confess and ask for forgiveness when we've blown it with our finances. I didn't even get one amen out of that. Let me say this again. Do you know what's great is we can come to God for direction with our finances and we can come to God when we've blown it with our finances and he'll forgive us. If you're here today and your finances are a train wreck, good news. God forgives sin. I have met with people when they found out they don't have long to live in the world and and we're writing out their funeral ceremonies and how they want that all handled. And I'll say, okay, what's, what's one thing you're really thankful for? And I can't tell you how many times people have said, oh, I'm thankful that I lost my business 10 years ago. I'm thankful for that big financial collapse that happened in 2008 or whatever. And I'll go, what? And they'll go, don't you understand? That was the greatest gift that God ever gave me because it, it set me free from all the sin and guilt that I had related to my finances. God used that collapse to remind me that he's God, that I'm not. And if I surrender my life to him, he'll forgive me of my sins, clean me up, and give me a whole new direction. And he blessed me more in the last 10 years than he ever did in any other part of my life. That's the kind of life he wants us to have. He doesn't want us to just stack up money and be stingy. He wants us to be generous. He doesn't want us to live hand to mouth and make no plans. That's foolhardy. He wants us to lay our plans at his feet and pray about everything and review it often. He wants us to be generous to the poor and help people in need and support the work of the kingdom, this church and in other ministries. 
And he says, if you honor me with your finances, I'll honor you. I'll help you do this. Seek me. Pray. Lay your plans down in front of me, but make some plans. Prepare in advance. Hard times come. And don't be afraid. Will you pray with me? God, I just want us to be confident that you're going to guide us in this. 20-year, 30-year, 40-year financial plans, these are rewarding when they come to fruition. You promise to take care of us if we put your priorities first. You promise to guide us if we ask you. God, forgive us for our selfishness. Forgive us for our stubbornness. Forgive us for our unwillingness to surrender our money to you. God, we are foolish and sinful. But Lord, you came into the world to save sinners. You give us your Holy Spirit to challenge us. You give us your word to guide us. And oh God, we pray that today you will change the way we think and make us a little bit more like Jesus. In a moment of silence, if God spoke to you about something in your finances that you needed to hear, would you say, God, I heard you? I surrender that to you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.